This is Top Floor, episode 16. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 16. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show on paper. You'd never guess that Nick Shelton considers himself an introvert. Workwise, Nick has been a commodities trader, a petroleum chemist, a bartender, and a security guard. But his passion lies in helping people learn to network and socialize despite feeling shy or awkward. By breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, a skill he learned in the Air Force, Nick transformed himself from the quiet guy in the corner into an international traveler with interests that range from sailing and beekeeping to my personal favorite, perfecting the gin martini. No one would accuse me of being an introvert, but even I got a ton of great tips from Nick's book, An Introvert's Guide to World Domination. At a time when the hospitality business is struggling to reinvent itself, the lessons from Nick's book and his life's work translate into great suggestions for how hotel and restaurant leaders can move forward. Today, we're going to talk about how networking tips can help our industry improve staffing, connect with guests, and rebuild. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. If you'd like to submit a question, you can call me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Kim. And Kim asks... Well, first she says, we have a salesperson at the hotel who is excellent. She always makes her numbers, meets her goals, does a wonderful job. But when she goes to an event, she freezes up. How can I, as her leader, coach her to better connect with people? This sounds like something that's right up your alley, Nick. Any good thoughts for Kim? Oh, that is great. First, thanks, Kim, for that that wonderful question. And then uh, I would say she has to remember that it's, uh, it's not about her. A lot of times people freeze up because they're thinking about themselves like, oh, everyone's looking at me, judging me and this, but you have to shift it and think about, you know, I'm here to add value to somebody else. I'm here to rescue and save somebody else, give them some value. Like I, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'd like to call it like, uh, playing the angel, for example. So if I were an, an angel here in this uh, scenario and I am tasked to help somebody, uh, I need to do my duty and go and help somebody. And so then you're not focused on you and how you're being perceived. You're focused on, I, I need to rescue somebody. I need to help add value to them. And that, that really shifts the whole perspective. That is such a great way to look at it. See, again, I'm an extrovert, but I can use this. If I don't feel like talking to people, just think that I need to be the angel of rescue in the (laughs) event. Awesome. I love it. In your book, you recommend staying away from the old, what do you do or where do you work type questions. So I hope that this is a better alternative. 
How do you think that your experience in the Air Force and as a petroleum chemist have made you a better networking coach and speaker? Uh, excellent question. And so the Air Force, I was, you know, I traveled a lot and I got I got to meet a lot of people. And so, you know, you have a job to do. You, you can't just... Uh, Say, I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm going to go sit over here. <laughs> no, you you have to do it. And so, uh, putting yourself in all of these scenarios uh, that that helped me learn how to deal with a lot of different scenarios, and then uh, and also break it down. Uh, like the the military breaks down difficult things and makes them simple. So I always talk about the making of the bed in the military. If you take someone off the street and say, make this bed military style, they'll say, I don't know how to do that. But <laughs> they break down the steps in such a simple way that everybody at the end can make the bed exactly right because it's broken down. And so I said, maybe I can apply this to social strategy and break down the steps. So starting off with myself, and then once I learned how to do it, then I said, okay, now I can teach other people how to do it. And then for the petroleum chemist part, uh, working in the laboratory, you know, a lot of times, a lot of uh, people in this industry, they uh, don't really leave the laboratory. They just stay and just run their tests and things like that. But I said, huh, I can get out of here and I want to be more known throughout the company, like with all the senior executives, middle management, human resources, the janitorial staff, everybody. And so I said, okay, well, let's start doing that. So I would start going down to the uh, the different offices, greet everybody when when it, uh, you know, and also greet the the cleaning staff. What are you guys doing? What's happening over here? And then engineers talking with engineers that I I like to tease a lot, uh, <laughs> but. You know, trying to see how can once again, like going back to that, adding value and helping other people, I, I show up and I say, um, "What can I do to help this person out?" Or and it, and it, it doesn't have to be about work stuff. Just trying to connect with them as human beings. Hey, I see you. I know I'm. You, you think that I'm just going to be hanging out in the lab all day, but here I'm over here now, <laughs> and I'm in your office. And so, for me, just going through the motions of that and looking at it from all these different angles. So it's not always, you know, trying to go and hang out with the vice president of the company, but also hanging out with the, uh, the guy that's, you know, taking out the trash as well. And uh, the man or woman who's taking out the trash as well. It really gave me a lot of uh, experience in dealing with this and allowed me to be able to uh, see a lot of perspectives. So then I can show other people how to do the same thing. That's really interesting. So like almost everyone in the whole wide world, you did a tour of duty in hospitality. Talk about your job and why you decided that the bar and restaurant business wasn't for you in the long term. Okay. Yeah. I, so when I first started, I just I was driving by this the sports bar and I said, and it had a now hiring sign. And I said, I should go in and see if I can get a job. What, what would that be like? You know? So then I went in there and started as a, got hired on as a waiter and wanted to have that experience, you know, even though I was socially awkward and shy and introverted, I said, this will be good for me. And so, you know, learned the ropes, started talking to people and waiting tables. And I worked my way up from that bartending assistant manager of the place. And yeah, it was, it was great, but the why I didn't stick with it was 
Uh, I remember one night very clearly, I said, I'm pretty much around drunks all day. There's, <laughs> you know, I'm, there's people that come in, I'm giving them alcohol. And, and so I feel like I'm the designated driver. I don't get to drink, but uh-huh. everyone else around me is drinking and I'm giving them more alcohol. <laughs> so everybody, it's, it's a weird sensation just being sober, surrounded by a bunch of people that are drinking all day. And I said, I don't know if this is how I need uh, to be for the long term to be in this because it's it's a really odd feeling so i I eventually did you feel like a pusher man (laughs) (laughs) a little bit yeah i'm enabling these hey you want some more you want here have some more and then yeah yeah, people can get a little rowdy or obnoxious or whatever and not not everybody some people are very nice and they get nicer (laughs) but uh it's just a it's a almost surreal environment it's it's just a different sort of thing Understood. It strikes me that uh, somewhere along the way, you have been able to let your curiosity outweigh any feelings of shyness or introversion that you're, you allow your curiosity to win out even when it sort of goes against your personality type. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm curious about how something feels. And I also like the stories. I go, well, you know, there's going to be a story out of this. So <laughs> yes. I might as well go and see what happens. And, you know, it, stories are good if it turns out really well, that's good. But people also like to hear if it doesn't turn out well, people uh, love yes. to hear that. So a hundred percent true. That's great. So you consider yourself an introvert. Yes. I consider myself an extrovert. I think we should level set what we mean by that. How would you describe the difference between those two personality types? Uh, So the other day, I heard it described really well by Simon Sinek, uh, who had described it as when you wake up in the morning, the extrovert would wake up with no energy coins. And then each transaction they had with somebody when they were talking with someone, they are getting energy coins. So they're getting their energy from interacting with people, whereas the uh, introvert you wake up with, say, your five energy coins, and whenever you are talking with people, you're giving them away. And then you to recharge and get your energy coins back, you have to be have some time alone to get them. So the uh, the extrovert gets them by being around people and interacting, and the introvert gets them by uh, being alone and just kind of generating it. So it's more of an energy play than it is like just being shy. A lot of people think it's shyness, but shyness is separate from introversion. That's it's so interesting because when I learned that sort of a similar definition to what you just gave and my husband and I took like one of those online personality tests and he is as far on the introvert side as they come. I am as far on the extrovert side as they come. I'm telling you, it was a relationship changer because now rather than feeling like he was rejecting me. He just had to say, I need some introvert time to recharge. And I was like, oh, okay, I get that. Let me go talk to somebody at the grocery store. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's, it's a really good balance for both of you because he can do certain things. And like, if you do things, for example, if he had a shirt that needed to be returned and he doesn't have the receipt, you know, he'd be like, Hey, you can go ahead and handle this. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) I am definitely the errand runner in the household for sure. Do you think that someone has to be an extrovert to work in hospitality? No, absolutely not. Uh, I I know that there, it seems that way, but at the same time, I think that introverts are really great at observation. 
And when you're working in hospitality, uh, it's a great advantage to be good at observing things. So then you can anticipate the needs of your guests. And you can see if something needs to be improved, see if there's something that they're uncomfortable about, and then you can address that. But the extrovert, not you know, uh, saying anything bad about extroverts, they might just <laughs> present be... company excluded. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they might not notice a lot of the, the little details because they're too busy. Hey, what's going on, everybody? <laughs> you know, so uh, I think that yeah, it's a really good advantage to be able to observe. And when you do engage with the people, you make it count. That's a very interesting way of putting it. Hospitality to me is one of one of, if not the only business where you can start at the most entry level position. You can start quote at the bottom and rise to the very top. There are so many stories about CEOs who got their start working as a dishwasher and rose to being a CEO of a big hospitality company. Having said that, restaurants and hotels are struggling to find staff right now, and they're competing with a lot of other industries. What are some of the techniques that you teach that could potentially help leaders in hospitality do a better job of attracting talent? Okay, so there's there's the getting new talent, and then there's retaining the talent you have. Good point. The people that you have, you want to make sure that they're you know, at least talk to them and see, hey, is there anything that we can improve here that could make this a more fun place? Like a, there's a quote I know that uh, Tim Ferriss had said where he said, like, what would this look like if it were easy? But I like to say, what would this look like if it were fun? So if people uh... are having fun, so when they wake up in the morning, they, they're not like, oh, I have to go in there. You want it so they <laughs> say, oh, yeah, I get to go in there and do my job. So if you can make it kind of fun and, and you don't have to think of all the fun things <laughs> yourself, you can ask for suggestions from people. Well, how can we improve this and make it a little more so it's enjoyable? Uh, that will help you retain some of the people so they actually know that you care about them. And then also ask them, do you have any friends that you'd like to refer to work here and maybe incentivize them to be the eyes and ears on bringing in new talent because they have to work with these people. So they would know, hey, this seems like someone I would like to work with. Maybe they then so they can help convince the people to come and work there and be friends and you know family of theirs at the workplace. And part of the fun. And part of the fun, yes, because you want, you know, they want it to be a good atmosphere. And then uh, also for just the just attracting the talent, I would say, yeah, if you can show them, so it's not just a pure money thing. You have to show them, hey, we actually, it's a good place to work. It's it's a place that you can have that mobility where you can start off at the bottom and work your way up, and you know, show examples of how that how that works, and that you actually care about your employees. And it's not just like, hey, we'll give you $2 more than the other person, the other place place over there an hour, or you know, we just need some people. If, you're, if you treat them nicely, I remember there was a couple scenarios where there's one company that I worked for that they would give you all kinds of... So they might give you hats that have the company name or some shirts and maybe a flashlight. You know, there's always some trinkets <laughs> and stuff like that. And they'd have picnics in the summertime. Hey, we're going to have a picnic come out and we'll do all these things. And then there's another company. And that was great because you're like, oh, there's always these things. And it seemed like they actually care. And maybe they did or didn't. I don't know, but they acted like they did. And that's it. <laughs> that's worked. the battle, right? <laughs> right. And then the, another company, I remember saying, 
hey, can do you have any like swag? Can we get some hats and keychains or something? They said, <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, they said, you could probably buy one. I'll give you a link where you can buy one. And I said, why would I? I'm going to buy my hat to advertise your company. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to work here. I want to show off and be like, hey, this is you know part of the family. And they said, no, no, we don't do that here. And so it, it, it gives me the impression, oh, you don't really... You don't really care. You're just like, hey, just do your job, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing versus, hey, let's have fun. And you're, you know, you'll do your job. You're excited to do your job if you feel that they're, they actually care about you versus they just want you to shut up and do your job. Sort of <laughs> in your book, and this was one of my, I mean, there were a lot of favorite parts that I have, but this is one of my favorites. You recommend that when you're traveling, you stay at the most expensive hotel that you can afford. Can you talk a little bit about why you suggest that and maybe what experiences you've had that led you to come to that conclusion? Well, originally, uh, my mentor had told me that and and it, it turned out to be a really good thing because when you stay at expensive hotels... So you know, if you're staying at you know the... Uh, the Motel Six, for example, no insults to Motel Six. It's a good franchise, but it's you're probably you might not meet anyone, and if you do meet someone, they're just you know somebody that's just, let's just get a room, rest up here, and go on about our way. But if you stay at uh, a more high end place, you're going to be uh, have the chance to bump, rub elbows, and bump into people that are that are doing things, people of action, people are, that are moving the needle in their industries. And so you might be out by the pool, meet somebody there at the bar, at the in the gym, and you can strike up conversations or they might strike up a conversation with you and you never know who you're going to meet. So you might meet somebody that can that you can provide value to, or you might meet someone that can provide value to you, or you might just make a really good friend. You know, it doesn't have to always be this transactional thing where can I help you in some way? And maybe not, maybe you can just be a good friend and you meet a good friend, but these usually at these higher end places, there are people that are action takers and people that are doing things. And so when you meet people, uh, and I'm sure like if, if you met people at the breakfast buffet at motel six, that's, you know, that's fine. I'm sure there's some good people there, but the, uh, the movers and shakers, uh, that's you're going to meet a lot more of those people. Uh, even if you're not trying to, you will meet some of those at the higher end places, and you never know. It only takes one to to change your life and uh, send you off in a, a different direction, a positive direction that could really uh, really move the needle in in your projects and in your life. So that's why. Do you have an example of a time that that happened for you? Uh, yes, I do. I met uh, a really cool person. I didn't know that they were. There's, there's some people that a lot of people know already, like they have a certain level of uh, influence or uh, popularity. And a lot of times I don't know that. <laughs> like, I don't, Same. So, like so. your famous TikTok influencer. You probably don't have that list in your wallet, right? <laughs> right. And so I did meet a, a really cool guy that, you know, I thought that it was, you know, I didn't know it was just some, some random guy, but uh we ate a couple of meals and just talked about regular everyday stuff. And then I remember I went to a, uh, I went to a concert and I was walking to like this bar and uh, that was, you know, part of the venue to go get a, a beverage. And I looked over 
on the stage and that guy was up singing on what? the stage. Oh my like, God, that's so crazy. He probably loved that you had no idea who he was. It was like so relaxing, you know? Right. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, that's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess he's some, I didn't know. I had no wow. idea that he's supposed to be uh, a, like a famous person. But yes, I think it was a very, uh, uh, a, a really cool experience for him because you know other people might be like, "Oh, hey, oh, I'm a big fan" or something, and I'm just like, "So you're gonna get the uh, the eggs or what's... <laughs> <laughs> you know?" So it's it yeah it was it was a, it was a really cool experience. That is cool. Our listeners like you are big travelers, and I know you've also lived in Japan and in Nicaragua. How would you suggest someone go about networking and socializing in another country? All right. So oh, that's one of my favorite things. And so I always say, if you can, sometimes you can't. So if you're traveling on business or something, you might not be able to do this. But I like to do the homestay. Usually there's a, you can get online and type in homestay for you know wherever you're going to be, Bangladesh, homestay. And then it'll uh, have families that you can go stay with and uh you know and you might have to you know give them some money for you know room and board or whatever but it's usually cheaper than the hotels and you can stay with a local family that way you're getting in the the customs you get the lay of the land they'll kind of fill you in on the gossip of the neighborhood and all that sort of thing and that's such a cool idea (laughs) and and so and to not overstay my welcome i'll just do maybe a week with that family and they will uh, introduce me to some people in the community. And then I'll also take a cooking class, a dance class, and a language class. And oh, even wow. if you know the language, uh, you can still take the language class because you're meeting people. First, you're meeting other people that are learning the language too. And then you're going to meet the people that are teaching the language. And uh, one thing that I was able to do was, uh, like in Nicaragua, I was learning Spanish, but then I also stayed and helped them with their English classes. They'd say, hey, can you come and speak English to our, the people learning English? Okay. So I got to meet them and then people would invite you to parties. So the language people would invite you out. The dance class, you're meeting a bunch of people that are dancing. It's very intimate. You're dancing. And then they'll say, hey, we're going to all go out dancing at this place. Do you want to go? So now you're meeting all those people. Cooking class, once again, pretty intimate. You're sitting there cooking and everybody's kind of bonding over the what you're making. And then they might say, hey, we're going to have a dinner party. Do you want to come to that? And then at the dinner party, you're meeting people. At the dance thing, you're meeting people. At the language school, you're meeting people. And the family that you might be staying with, <laughs> you're meeting people. So you build your network out really quickly because you get exposed to a lot of people with very minimum effort. And you don't have to do a whole lot. If you're in the cooking class, you don't have to say, I need to engage and talk to everyone just by being in the cooking class, people are going to talk to you and you have something to talk about because you're you're making stuff. I love those ideas. I want to take a trip just so that I can take a cooking class in another country. I think that's brilliant. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away with uh, some tangible tips and tactics from every episode of Top 4. So I'm going to ask you some more very specific questions. There as I've mentioned, are so many excellent tips in your book. People really just need to buy it. But what are two or three things that a reluctant networker should remember when walking into an event? All right. So we have the uh, the cape walk when you're walking in, when you walk into the room, which is 
A lot of people, a, a gentleman once asked me, he said, I wish I could see myself when I walk into a room because I don't know what I look like. Do I look grumpy? Do I look approachable? How do I look? And, you know, body language is a really important thing. So, and it doesn't have to necessarily be walking into a room. This could be anywhere. You could be at the front desk of a hotel. You could be, you know, walking out to uh, to engage with a, a table if you're in the wait staff, something like that. But you could do the cape walk. Men and women can both do it. And it's... Uh, you just walk as though you are wearing a cape and you want your cape to drape and flow properly. And so <laughs> that way your shoulders are going to be back. You're going to have a correct posture and you will walk really cool. And then you have a presence about you and just changing that physiology, it changes actually how you feel and how you engage with people. And so just, and so what I will do when I'm walking into a place, I say, sometimes I say it out loud and sometimes I just say it in my mind. I say cape walk. And then I, Start uh, put your cape on. Yes, this is where we need this to be a video show so that people can see me practicing this (laughs) while you're saying it. (laughs) Yes, and in my workshops, I actually have uh, capes that I hand out to people, and then we all get up and we walk around. Oh, that's great! People can actually feel the difference. But you know, imagining the cape is just as good, but it's it's also really cool to have the cape (laughs) and and walk (laughs) around so you say, "Oh yeah," because it's you can see. You can just watch how it changes, how people move around. And then even when they speak, it changes how they're speaking and how they engage just by that that cape. So that's a really good thing when you are when you need that extra little boost. I and love that. I am trying to do this right now, but I don't think I'm doing it effectively. And that <laughs> is the Duke cookie face. Can you tell us yes. what that is? Yes. Yeah. So once again, on the body language thing, the Duke or Duchess cookie face. Yeah, it's uh, it is, I would say my best out of all the tips and techniques. Uh This is something that everybody can put into use right away and they will see results right away. You will see results that day and how you feel and how people engage with you. And it all started when I was at a holiday party with a, a woman I was dating at the time. And I said, uh, we went to her company's holiday party and I didn't know any of those people. They know her. They don't know me. And I said, they're going to be looking at me, judging me. And I don't, I, I can only engage with just a few of them through the evening, but everybody's going to say, well, who did she bring? And they're going to be making up their mind about if I'm a good guy or not. And so I said, okay, well, I need to project a certain way. So then, but how do I do that? So I was thinking, okay, how would a Duke sit? You know, and, <laughs> And uh, so a Duke, you know, not the king, don't have to worry about king stuff, but you're you're up there. So you're a noble. And so a Duke or a Duchess, you're a noble. And so however you, there's no really wrong way to do it. You just picture in your mind, hey, how would a Duchess sit? How would a Duke sit? And then it's going to be, it's not going to be slouching, but it's not going to be stiff and rigid. It'll be a good posture, but a relaxed, nice posture. And then the, uh, so you got that down, then for your face, I figured, okay, if I walk into my best friend's house and I'm hit with the aroma of fresh baked cookies and I love cookies, I know that I'm going to be offered cookies. Cookies are imminent. Cookies are coming. And so I want to, uh, and so I would have on my facial expression would be, oh, I'm going to be getting cookies soon. And so I'm not going to be grumpy or have like, look like I'm about to cry or something. I'm going to, but I'm not going to be 
over the top, just like, yeah, good. <laughs> <Well, laughs> it depends on who you are. I mean, <laughs> but you might have like a light glow about you. Like, Hey, cookies are coming any moment. I'm going to be offered cookies. So and this gives you a nice little glow. So people will say that person looks approachable. That person looks confident, approachable. Cause you'll have the good posture. You'll have your face will be not uh, the, resting bee face you'll, you'll <laughs> resting you'll, cookie face <laughs> yes you'll have the resting cookie face and people say oh i want to talk to that person because they seem interesting and interested and they'll come over and engage with you and i also say when you are uh, looking around the room and you have this and you lock eyes with somebody telepathically send to them cookies are coming <laughs> And on their end, I don't know what they receive telepathically on their end, but I think they just, they feel something. They feel some kind of connection. And a lot of times they'll come over and engage with you. So that, and that makes it easier on you. So you, once again, don't have to go out of your way to engage. They will come to you because you have that glow and they don't know why you have the glow. They just know you have the glow and there's something about you that they have to find out what it is because they want to have the glow too. That is the best. I love it. I'm practicing. Ever since I read that, I have been trying to practice my cookie face. <laughs> this is some tactical advice for me. Like you, I am a lover of gin martinis. So how do you make yours? And what's your favorite gin? So I, I've i made a many different styles. But these days, uh, my go-to way is I'll chill my martini glass, very cold. Then I'll take the vermouth pour it in there, swirl it around, throw it out. And so then you have like the thin layer of vermouth that stays in the glass. Then I'll pour my gin over ice in a shaker, shake it up, get it cold, pour it in. And so it's a lot easier than me before having to measure out my vermouth. And so when I saw it done this way, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do it that way. That's easier. <laughs> so you and, like a dry martini. I like yes. uh, more vermouthy martini. So I'm about three to one gin vermouth ratio, definitely cold glass. I yeah. shake. My husband prefers stirred. So yes. that's always the debate of who's making them, how they're going to get made. But cold <laughs> is the key. And then are yeah. you an olive person or a lemon I'm, person? I'm a lemon. I do the twist. Me too. I, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's great because I used to be the olive person, but then when I tried the twist, I said, oh, I'm never going back. This That's the ex same exact thing. Yeah. And then what about, what's your favorite gin? So I do Beef Eaters London Dry. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I We are... Um, Bombay, maybe? Bombay Sapphire? Bombay White Label. Okay. For regular times. And for celebrations, Hendrix. Ah, yes. Yeah, Hendrix is, is a crowd pleaser. Yes. Really. Very good. Yeah. I, I usually stick with the beef eaters. Sometimes I'll do, uh, if, if it's just an everyday thing, like if I said, Hey, I'm just going to make this martini week and, uh, I'm going to just go kind of a, a budget martinis. I think Gordon's is a good standard, uh, to go with, but yeah, the beef eaters is my, my more celebration, uh, martini. Excellent. For a so-called shy guy, you have a lot of adventures, skydiving, Maserati test driving, <laughs> crewing a sailboat race, even though you had never done it before. What is the next adventure or two that you have planned? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One is there, I found there's a, they have race car driving schools. And it's <laughs> like... Oh, that's cool. I didn't know you could go to race car driving school. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And 
you know, winters, there's one down in Arizona and winter's a good time to do that. So I plan to go down there and uh, learn how to drive race cars. Oh, wow. Aren't you nervous? Aren't you're not scared? Oh, uh, well, there's always going to be a little bit of fear, but you have to live, right? <laughs> you, know, you have to figure it out. This is good advice. I'm going to call you next time I need to do something that's really frightening. <laughs> right. It's I like driving fast. There's gonna it's a school, so they're not just gonna be like, all right, you know what you're doing. Go on out there. Hit the and, road, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, there'll, there'll be somebody that will let me know, hey, Good you're point. that is wrong. Stop doing that. <laughs> you know? So uh yeah, I, I'd like to do that. And then also uh I've been doing a lot of stand-up comedy recently. So nice. I uh I started off doing some corporate stuff because I noticed at uh, when I was at work, I would you know spend some time uh, telling stories and, and throwing things out. And then people would, they would laugh. About it and then say, <laughs> okay, well, maybe I can do this in other venues. So since I was doing a lot of public speaking about the book and about networking, I would always open uh, my public speaking. I would always do maybe five minutes of comedy just to loosen up the group before I got into the networking stuff. And then I said, oh, I think I can just do, I can do a whole thing with just comedy. And then so I started doing some uh, corporate comedy gigs. And then I started doing some, some of the comedy clubs as well. The comedy clubs is the dirty material. And then the corporate stuff, that's the clean. Excellent. So you could have the full gamut. Yes. And so I, I, I find that it's, it's helpful to kind of stretch your legs in that realm just to, because once again, that's, it helps networking. If you can get people uh, laughing, then you can get them in a good mood. And, you know, not everyone, I'm not suggesting that everyone say, well, I'm going to try doing stand-up comedy now so I can network better. But if you, if you can, you know, improv is a really great way to help uh, exercise your conversation skills. So if people have that in them that they want to do it, a lot of people don't like getting it up in front of groups of people. But if, if you can... Uh, I highly recommend it. It's 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 really great. Excellent. Well, before we tell you goodbye, we're going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Nick, what's a story you would only tell on the loading dock? So I do have a story for you. I was working at that sports bar that we mentioned earlier. And... It was maybe like a Tuesday night, so it, usually, it was pretty slow because like, it's always slow on Tuesday nights. So I think it was uh, just our staff was maybe three people. We had two wait staff and me, and you know just a, just a few people uh, dining and watching TV. And then a group of I believe it was fifteen people came in, and because it was a dentist office, and he's like, "Hey, I'm doing this little party for my my people here," so. Uh, can we come in? And then I was thinking, oh no, we aren't, <laughs> we aren't ready for this. Like there's just suddenly a group of 15 people out of the blue uh-huh. showing up. And so uh, I said, okay, I, I will take this. This will be mine. And so it, so me alone, I'm doing a group of 15 and I was thinking, no. So, you know, I was, I would go over and Hey everybody, what can we, what can we get you tonight? What can I get started? And so naturally, to them, for the group, I was very chipper and you know, got organized and got everything down. And it was it was definitely challenging because every time I left the table to try to go get things prepared for them, I was like, no, why? Why would they do this? 
<laughs> so no reservation, no, no warning. They just wandered on in 15 right. people. Wow. Yes. Yeah. No warning whatsoever. No reservations. It's just, hey, hey, here we are. The, you know, help us out. And so it's just me running around in the whole night. I was like, why? I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Why are they doing this? And, and you know, a lot of times too, when you have groups that big and they have, uh, you know, some people will, uh, like somebody will say, I'm going to cover these four people. And then that person's going to cover that person alone. And then these, and then there's always people that say, well, I think that my bill is wrong because I don't remember ordering this one thing. And I guess you're all drinking. I'm sober. Yes, you did. Order that. <laughs> but you're a math <laughs> expert with seven <laughs> martinis on in you. Great. <laughs> right. And so, uh, so I was like, ah, what, well, you know, I can't believe this. This is such a horrible thing. I, I, why would they do this to me? Why? What have I ever done to deserve <laughs> this? And then, uh, but we got it all sorted out. And at the end of the night, they <laughs> left this massive, crazy tip. So, because we didn't have a thing where, you know, tables over six, we automatically put in, you know, gratuity. It was, we didn't have that. There was none of that uh, built in. So I was just like, I don't know. And I wasn't really expecting anything, but they left me like a, probably a 40% tip oh, off nice. of a 15 person thing. And I was like, you can come back anytime <laughs> you want. Here's my this cell is, phone number. <laughs> yes, you can count on me. I really enjoyed serving you this evening. And yeah, it completely changed. So I thought it was funny because, you know, all night I was like, why? No. And then, <laughs> you know, at the end, I was like, you guys are really great. Hey, need your car washed or something? Is you know what? What can I do? It was just this massive uh, tip that uh, the dentist ended up that you know had brought everybody out. He was like, "Hey, let me take care of you. Thank you for taking care of us." And it's like, "Wow, that thank is you. so awesome!" Yeah, Did so. you ever have an experience where you? I waited tables for years, like in high school, college, and and beyond that, and. Um, I have had the experience before where I knew that I did a terrible job waiting on a table and they yes. still gave me 20%. Yes. And I'm like, how did they, why, <laughs> what, what, they, I didn't deserve this. What were they thinking? But that's why I have the same tipping policy, no matter most of the time, no matter if it's great or terrible service, because right. I was saved by somebody who just, wrote 20% even though I totally didn't deserve it. Yes, yeah, I I've I've had that as well where yeah, that night I don't think that I deserved that tip that I got. It was <laughs> Sure you did. You're running around like a maniac probably. <laughs> I, was, I was, but it, and it was appreciated, but yeah, my own tipping policies are, you know, I'll usually do the the 20%, but sometimes if somebody does something really incredible, because sometimes people just really connect and you say, wow, where did this person come from? It's like they're running this uh, as though we're old friends or something. And I, I, that's another tip that people can have is you always think of, I think of puppies. Whenever a puppy sees you, then it's like, hey. <laughs> and so everybody is is always happy to, or the puppy's always happy to see you. And then you're like, Hey, this puppy is excited that I'm here. And so if you also greet people, not just as over the top as a puppy would, but as <laughs> maybe like, don't lick them. <laughs> right. But like maybe 
like an old friend that you haven't seen for a while that you are actually happy to see them. And, you know, you can get into that frame where, so if you're at the front desk of a hotel and somebody walks up, there's two ways you can just say, you know, good evening, checking in or something, or you can say, Oh, Hey, what's, how are you? Are you checking in? Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. You know, and that transfers over to the person that, Hey, this person is actually seems to care that I'm here and seems to actually be excited for some reason that I've arrived and they want me to have a good time. And so I think that goes back to that puppy thing. So if, if you engage with people that way, it sticks in their minds. They like, if you're even walking past the, uh, the, the hospitality cart or the uh, housekeeping cart in the hallway and they're out there doing something, grabbing some towels. And then they say, Good morning. How are you? Then you go, oh wow! Versus if they just look up at you and then just go shuffle back in the room, it, it's a it's a totally different energy, a totally different feeling. So, you know, yeah, it goes back to that puppy. If you can be the if you can be the puppy, then you you're going to definitely leave a, a better impression on people. Awesome. Nick Shelton, thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners got good ideas for how to be the rescuing angel, wear the cape, and use their Duke cookie face. And I really appreciate you riding with us to the top floor. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 16. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 